Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everybody. A <laughs> Good morning, thank you. Yes, please talk back. It is lovely to have you with us this morning. Oh, I've just opened my iPad and it says preaching. So, yes. I'm in the right place at the right time. Um, what an exciting Sunday. Mother's Day, Sally's first day. <laughs> I know, right? It is very, very exciting. Um, and it is just really wonderful to look out and see so many people that I really can now call friend and friends. Um, and we just want to reiterate our thanks to you guys for welcoming um, us and our family to this service and um, it's just really wonderful to do community with you guys. Um, I'm Helen and this is my husband Shaninga and we are the service leaders here in Stockwell. Um, yesterday, I just wanted to say a few words on the Everything Conference yesterday. Who was, here, who was at the Everything Conference? Woo! Yes, me and Dan and Shaninga. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, guys, uh, book your place for next year. Like, seriously, it was a really, really awesome, awesome conference. And yeah, shout out to Dan, who was helping, and Lydia, who was from our service, who was worshipping. And um, Shaninga spoke as well, and um, he lived up to his words of being the world's best speaker. He really is fabulous. Yes, well done. <laughs> um, we talked about uh, faithful presence and there were a lot of speakers who had been in their industries for many years. Some of them felt called to their industries. Some of them were in their industries but just didn't feel called anywhere else, so stayed in their industries. And um, it was just really interesting to see how God was using them in that faithful everyday being there and how God led them to be in the right place at the right time for some really quite big, significant moments. And I'm sure you guys have, have experienced these moments where you're the only Christian in the room and decisions are being made and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm, I'm God's man in this moment, or I'm God's woman in this moment. Um, and it was just a real encouragement to say, you know what, you are, and God is going to use you, and um, speak up, speak out, because you might feel alone in that room, but there are a lot of people who are behind you and who are supporting you, and of course, God has you for a reason. So be encouraged, um, um, whatever you're doing in life right now, God is going to use you mightily. Last time I was here, which was only a month ago, we were talking about Ash, Ashbury, Asbury, Ashbury, Ashbury, I don't know, everyone's calling it something different, the place in Kentucky uh, where there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I thought it was interesting that today on Mother's Day, and I'm thinking how mothers pour out all the time. And I was like, well, isn't that interesting? Last time I was talking about outpouring, today I'm talking about and outpouring. Thank you, mothers, for pouring yourselves out to us. So we want to, on behalf of everyone, I want to say thank you to all mothers. You are wonderful. So, healthier bodies, greater empathy, lower rates of depression, longer lifespans. Doing just one thing 
will allow us to accrue all of these physical and emotional benefits. Not only will it improve your life, but it will improve the life of your friends and it will help their friends thrive too. And you might be guessing the answer it might be exercise or meditation or getting a good night's sleep or Jesus, the holier ones in here. Yes, well done. <laughs> and these are all good guesses. They're not the answer, although Jesus is the answer. Um, they're not the answer to this particular thing that I, I researched. Anyway, what is it? What is this magic pill? It is generosity. The simple act of giving. This is what Amy Campbell, author, Amy Campbell, author Christian, and co-author of Love Let Go, Radical Generosity for the Real World, said and discovered when researching her book, that people who are generous are physically healthier. They have greater empathy and relational skills. They suffer from lower rates of depression, and they even live longer than those who don't practice generosity. Whether you are rich or poor, regardless of your country, the studies show that giving to others improves our short-term happiness and our long-term well-being. The benefits of a generous life are demonstrable, verifiable, and authentic, and they are within our grasp. Please turn with me to our main passage for today, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 20. I can hear the rapid pages turning. <laughs> yes, I can hear it all across the room. Well done, guys. <laughs> Don't worry, it's coming up on the screen. There it is. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who multiplies seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply your seed sown and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only, multi, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This Bible of ours is steep, you know. You know, all of these studies that tell us how generosity is so beneficial, and it's been in the Bible for centuries. And we see it right here. It's such rich promises of goodness when we give. As you guys know, we're currently taking a break from our series on Luke to go on a journey of generosity together. 
Last week, Lars talked about the gift of generosity that stems from God's grace. And that when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, that was a well-off church to tell them of the great generosity of the Macedonians, who were by comparison had very little. He talked about how their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generosity to the point where they begged to be part of the gift to the Corinthian church. You see, God's scales of economy are very different from ours. Joy plus poverty equals generosity. That doesn't kind of really make sense. Joy plus poverty, one thing we don't really associate those two, equals generosity. We would usually think, well, joy plus poverty would probably equal more frugality in our society. But with with God, the scales of economy are very different. We just have to look at the story of the five loaves and the two fish. Five loaves and two fish, that's enough for one person for a day or maybe a meal for two or three people. But in God's scales of economy, five plus two equals 5,000, remainder 12. And if we go back to our passage, we can see more of God's scales of economy and how generosity is at its very heart. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a natural law. There's a natural law of sowing and reaping. If I sow one sunflower seed, I'll probably get, I'm saying probably because I'm not the most green-fingered person, but um, Ali, Ellen, they would get one plant at least from that one seed and they would probably get one to three flowers, probably three flowers. I would probably get one, but hey, they'd get one to three flowers, one sunflower seed, one plant, one to three sunflowers. That's a natural law that if anybody applies it, they will reap the benefits. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is not looking at the amount. He's looking at the amount of heart you're sowing. What is in your heart? And and really, this is a, a really important point because... That the earth is is the Lord's and everything in it. The gold is his. The silver is his. The cattle upon a thousand hills is his. God does not need our money. He has it already. But what he wants is our heart. And that's why it says God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, God puts something super on this natural law. He doesn't just supply the seed, but he multiplies the seed, meaning that I may sow one sunflower seed, but God can multiply that seed. So instead of getting one to three sunflowers, I might get five to ten sunflowers. 
I might get 10 to 30 sunflowers. I might get 100 to 300 sunflowers. Or in the case of the five loaves and two fish, I might get 1,000 to 3,000 sunflowers. And I was reflecting on this. Why does it say multiply our seed instead of as well as increasing the harvest? Why is it both? Because multiplying the seed, seeds are for sowing. Harvest is for consuming, for sharing. God is going to multiply the seed as well as increase the harvest. The question is, when God gives you the seed, will you keep it or will you sow it? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Notice it doesn't say you'll be enriched in every way so you can spoil yourself in every way. And yet that is the narrative that we hear so often in our daily lives. We had um, the great privilege of going to a party last week. Very exciting. We don't go to a lot of parties. <laughs> um, it was at this very exclusive luxury fragrance brand who have partnered with Big Kid. Um, and they invited us. That was like a sort of, they had to cancel their Christmas party. So it was sort of a delayed Christmas party. It was their very fancy London office. And they very generously gave every single one of their guests a gift hamper of their amazing fragrances. And then not only that, but they also gave every guest another hamper for a loved one. Now, I know what you're thinking, well, if that's the case, where's my gift bag, Helen? <laughs> and yes, know that, know that I love you. I really, I love you guys. Turns out I love someone else more. <laughs> um, but one person said to me at the end as we were leaving, they're like, oh, did you get your gift bag? And I was like, yeah, it's so exciting. And that was, did you get your gift bag for your loved one? I was like, yeah. And they're like, and I hope your loved one is also yourself. And I was like, and we had a bit of a giggle. And then I was like... Yeah, it kind, of, it kind of challenged me. And I was like, yeah, my loved one could be myself. I could get two, two, two gift bags. Yeah, I could have like two fragrances, two diffusers, fragrances, two hand creams that smell incredible. And it's like, normally I couldn't afford one of these, let alone a gift bag with all three in. And I thought, oh, my house will just smell like a really rich person's house. <laughs> And I will smell like a really rich person. My hands will smell like a really wealthy person. Um, and then I was just like, I was, I'm laughing thinking about it now, knowing that I'm going to be teaching on generosity <laughs> uh, the Sunday coming. Um, but it kind of got me thinking, like, you know, I deserve it. Why not? Anyway, I, I soon realized uh, I had to kind of check myself. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to find Shaninga. And I found Shaninga and I was like, okay, we're giving this gift bag to so-and-so. And we're giving this gift bag to so-and-so because they've worked really hard at Big Kid and they would love this. And I was like, okay, done. Can't back out of that now. Um, and then in the morning, I saw these ladies and gave them their gift bags. And of course, we were all squealing over the gifts. And now we all smell, our hands all smell lovely together. <laughs> But the point is, it was so much more, it was so much more exciting and joyful to share and to give. And that wasn't even my giving. I had been given to. We will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now here is where we see this kind of ripple effect and the community impact. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And scientists have a word for this. It's called social contagion. See these scientists? And it's just like proving the Bible. So something happens in your body and in your brain when you perform an act of generosity. I'm sure you've heard of the hormone oxytocin. Um, it's known as the love hormone. Um, they go on and on about this when you, when you give birth, but it's because it sort of helps to promote. You've got lots of oxytocin. I think it makes the delivery easier. It's not true. Nothing makes it easier. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful feel-good hormone that you get when you, you get it when you fall in love. You get it when you meet your child for the first time. You get it when you see a loved one or when you think of a loved one or a friend. It's like that warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, you get a shot of that when you perform an act of generosity. And you also get a shot of dopamine, which is in coffee and chocolates, the stuff that makes you happy in those things. Um, not only that, but the recipient of your act of generosity also gets a shot of oxytocin and dopamine. Not only that, but the people who witness your act of generosity, they also get a shot of it. And now what then happens is because they've received a shot of it, they're more likely to then go and perform an act of generosity to somebody else. And then you can see how this ripple effect of all of these shots of um, oxytocin and dopamine making everybody feel great. Not only that, but it also has a converse effect on the hormone cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Um, this is the hormone that causes us to, um, when we're stressed, it will cause us to be irritable, might cause us to eat too much, eat too little, break out in spots, affects our ability to sleep. This hormone reduces when we perform acts of generosity. Um, it also has an effect on our brains and it releases endorphins and it stimulates our reward center, boosting self-esteem, elevating happiness and combating feelings of depression. Giving makes our hearts, heads and bodies happy. Now imagine what a whole community high on oxytocin and dopamine would look like. Imagine a society that is joyful and kind at all times. What would crime rates look like? What would health look like? What would domestic violence and child abuse rates look like? Youth violence, mental health, depression, physical problems, even divorce rates. It's a thought, isn't it? And before you think I'm being idealistic, this is exactly what we see in our passage today and across the New Testament. Everyone getting blessed, everyone being thankful, everyone having everything they need. Maybe not all they want, but all they need, definitely. All sufficiency in all things at all times. When we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. When we sow bountifully, we, meet, we reap bountifully because God loves a cheerful giver. And I just want to skip over for a moment to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, uh, verses 24 and 23, uh, 33, which are verses that you'll be familiar with. 
And it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Someone once told me that if you have seen someone's bank account, you have seen their heart. And I think it's true. Uh, When we were in our pre-marital classes, we were told to um, make sure that you see your future spouse's bank statement and that you show them yours before you get married and some of you are like what (laughs) they are never seeing that (laughs) but the truth is if if your future spouse never sees your bank account they've never really seen your heart you can't we can't serve two masters we simply can't We can either love God or we can love money. And that doesn't mean that if we love God, we can't have money. On the contrary, it means that if we love God, we also love him with our money. You see, like it or not, money has an impact on the way we behave. The presence of money can make us act more self-sufficient and less generously. Likewise, the lack of money can make us withhold what little we have because we want to spend it on ourselves in order to survive. And here's what's interesting, though. The presence of money doesn't have to be conscious for us to exhibit that behavior. The author Amy Campbell, who I mentioned earlier in her TED Talk, touches on a social experiment that I think you'll find quite interesting. And if we've got the video, I'm going to let her explain it. Kathleen Vaux is a behavioral scientist at the University of Minnesota. Likely would have been able to predict what I was going to do with that money. She led a research team... Uh, conducting a study on the psychology of money, doing nine different experiments showing that the presence of money makes us act more self-sufficiently and, as a result, less generously. What's more is that that presence of money doesn't even have to be conscious for it to impact our behavior. In one experiment, participants were asked to complete a questionnaire at a desk on which sat a computer. At the six-minute mark, the computer screen stayed blank for some people. For others, an image of fish swimming underwater appeared. And for still others, an image of money floating under the water appeared. After completing the questionnaire, participants were asked to set up two chairs, one for themselves and one for a new person for a get-acquainted conversation. Without any discussion of money or any mention of it on the questionnaire, the people who had been exposed to the screen saver with money proceeded to place their chairs farther apart by nearly a foot than those who had not been exposed to the idea of money. Eight other experiments showed the same result. Money makes us act and feel more independent. It's this independence, this self-sufficiency It stifles our generous natures. It helps explain why we aren't more generous, even when we know we could be reaping the physical and emotional benefits of giving. Isn't that interesting? 
I was quite taken aback by that. I also thought we should have a get acquainted conversation. I like that. <laughs> a whole foot farther away. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Instead of asking, what do I need to give away? If we ask, what do I need to keep? When we shift to that question, we start to taste a sort of freedom around money. And not so much the scarcity of it that seems to be everywhere in our culture. Instead, we begin to sense an abundance of it. There's a saying that goes, whenever you feel like you don't have enough, give some away. Giving doesn't necessarily make you rich. It makes your life richer. And it makes others' lives richer too. It's contagious. And here's the thing, you don't have to have a lot of disposable wealth to practice radical generosity. You just need to be grateful. And here in South London, I feel like we have a lot of reasons to be grateful. I mean, for one, we live in the best part of one of the greatest cities in the world, let's face it. <laughs> Did you know that millions of Londoners are one percenters on the world stage? It takes just under £27,000 to put you in the top 1% of earners worldwide. Will you join me in a new club of 1%ers? It's called the Plus 1%ers. And here's what, what, I'm well, what we are suggesting you do. First of all, figure out how much you give away each year. Take that number and divide it by your annual income. Take that number and multiply it by 100, and you have the percent of your earnings that you have given away. Now, the next step is vitally important, so listen closely. Do not judge that number. Simply write it down. Now, add one. If you gave 2% last year, add one and give three. If you gave six, aim for seven. If you gave 10, aim for 11. If you gave 20, aim for 21. That's it. That's simple. Radical generosity doesn't have to be dramatic, but it does need to be intentional. As a quick testimony, and I know we're not talking about tithing today, but we have applied the tithing principle from before we even met and throughout our marriage. Tithing is a practice where you give 10% of your gross salary to your local church. And we can hash out the origins and the New Testament, Old Testament theologies another day. But we can hand on our hearts say that tithing has worked for us. We have always had everything we need. Always. God has been faithful and proved himself and has honoured our giving. Not only that, but we have also applied this 1% principle. And guess what happened? God keeps turning our 12% into 10. Some, some of you will catch that on the way home. If maths isn't your first language like me, I had to think. Um, but every time we challenged ourselves and we gave beyond our tithe, God increased our in income so that what used to represent 12% now only represents 10. 
And it makes sense. Why wouldn't a loving father who, has provide, who, who wants to provide resource to those in need not partner with someone who is doing just that and say, here, have some more to give away, have some more to give away, have some more. And I don't know about you, but when I was young, my dad is here today, he's very generous. <laughs> um, and he, when we were sent to do an errand and dad would give us some money and he would say, can you get this, this and this, give us whatever, a £10 note. And then we would bring back the change and then he would say, oh no, that's for you. Our loving father is the same. When we give, give, when he gives to us and we give it out and we give it out, there's some left over for us and he makes sure, he's going to make sure that he is taking care of us. And I've seen this um, unfold in so many practical ways. Um, we, we have been given a car and we were then able to also give that car away. We had our debt paid when just shortly after we got married um, by a gift from, from somebody that and they didn't know and it just was exactly the amount that we owed. Um, I have a friend who was in a financial bind and she was praying for, this happened literally like last week, the week before. She was praying to God for, for literally, she was like, Lord, we just need money. And at 6.30 a.m., somebody shoved a wad of cash in an envelope under her front door, anonymously. Um, when we were in hospital um, with Tammy, we had, almost every time we came home, there was a meal on our doorstep from somebody. So if you're up for this challenge, then let's do a couple of practical things together. First, let's ask God for something to give. It says in our passage that he supplies seed to the sower. So let's ask him to supply that seed and then let's also do something practical. Let's plan ahead. See what we can adjust so that we can release 1% of our income into the world. Small changes make a big difference. I'm pretty sure I could fund a small village in a far-flung place if I gave up my coffee habit. Or maybe if I ate out once for a month or took one thing out of my Amazon basket or bought one fewer items of clothing amount, uh, clothing a, a month. Small changes. By the end of the year, I think I would have at least a few hundred, if not over a thousand pounds, which is a very scary thought. That's enough to get someone off the streets and into a safe home. That's several meals for several people who would otherwise go hungry in our community. It could fund hundreds of Gideon Bibles in schools and institutions. I know for a fact it would fund more, more than one young person to go through one of Big Kids' intensive leadership programs and help put an end to youth violence in this very area of London. And that's here, in the most expensive city in the world, where even social impact isn't cheap. Take that to some cheaper economies, and we're, we're talking feeding whole communities, educating girls, cleaning water, building schools, equipping hospitals. No longer is there nothing in my hands, but there is abundance. Small changes. And we have an amazing initiative here at Christchurch called Acts 435, where people in our community can come with a need. Maybe they need an oven because theirs is broken down or they can't afford a new one and they can't, or maybe they can't cover the electricity bill. Whatever it is, they can talk to someone in our service and that need can be uploaded anonymously and we can share it and we can all contribute to meeting that need. 
They've kicked this off in Sutton and already they raised £150 literally within hours for a single mum of four who's in social housing whose oven broke and another £200 for a single mum with a toddler whose mum suddenly died and they had to move house. They had no table and chairs and now they have a table and chairs and somewhere to eat together. So if you have a need today and you would like help, please talk to myself or you can talk to Mikhail Amran. Um, and we would love as a community to help you. But what an amazing opportunity we have to come together as our community and bless others. Can I invite the band back up? Perhaps there are some small changes God has been talking to you about. Or maybe he's talking right now as I speak. Last week, Lars talked about surrendering. He said that control always wants more control. But surrender inspires surrender. If what is happening inside us is not reflected in how we spend our resources, it's not really heaven. So my question is, what is God doing inside you? This is our opportunity to surrender our whole hearts to God. Everything he wants for us is good. So there is no need to fear. You can trust God with your heart. You really can. And you can trust God with your money. So I encourage you as we spend some time worshipping, ask God, what am I withholding from you? What can I do for you? What is it that you have placed in my hand that I can give back to you? And my prayer is this, that whatever he says, no matter how seemingly big or seemingly uncomfortable it may be to surrender it, that we trust that God is good. And as we trust him, we will taste and see his goodness in our collective acts of radical generosity.